Well, this morning, if you got a Bible, I'd like you to turn to Luke chapter 24. And uh, thank you for the privilege of, of uh, again, preaching the Word of God to you this morning. I'm glad you're here. Luke 24 is where we're going to study uh, this morning in our Easter message. And the question is, this morning, why are you at the tomb? Why are you at the tomb? And we're going to pick up the story in Luke chapter 24. As a matter of fact, we'll read, we'll read the first eight verses of Luke 24, and we'll get the context of what we'll talk about this morning. Verse 1 says, Now upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came into the sepulcher, bringing the spices which they had prepared and certain others with them. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher. And they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass, as they were much perplexed thereabout, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And verse 8 says, And they remembered his words. They remembered his words. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We need you. Lord, I pray this morning as we examine this story from the Word of God, as we, we talk about the resurrected Christ, God, peel back anything that would distract us from your Word this morning. God, may your Holy Spirit have its way in our heart and life. May your Word have free course in this place. God, change us, Lord, to be more like Christ through what we learn today. Lord, I'm thankful for every person here, every family represented, God. We're, we're just so glad that we can meet together in this place. And now we want to give Christ all the honor and all the glory. And so we ask it in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you know, we're picking up kind of the, the story, the, the good part of the, the resurrection story in Luke chapter 24, but you know, a lot has transpired leading up to Luke chapter 24. We know from the word of God that Christ was betrayed by Judas into the hands of the scribes and Pharisees and the chief priests. We know from the word of God that Christ was given a mock trial by both Herod and Pilate. We know that he stood before those government leaders, and we know from the word of God that Peter... In the heat of the moment, and in, in, when the pressure was on, Peter folded, right? He denied Christ three times. We know that from the scriptures. We, we know that Christ was crucified. And if you're here this morning, and, and maybe you think Christ was crucified on a Friday, let me encourage you that from Matthew chapter 12 and verse 40, the Bible said that Christ had to be in the heart of the earth three days and three nights. And so, uh, we won't have the time this morning to really expound upon that, but let me assure you that Christ wasn't crucified on a Friday because you can't get three days and three nights from a Friday crucifixion till resurrection. And so the Bible tells us very clearly that, that, that an evening and a morning are what make up a day in the Bible. You guys remember the book of Genesis? When we open the book and we, we find Genesis chapter 1, it says the evening and the morning were the first day. You guys have read it. And the evening and the morning were the the second day, and, and on and on. God tells us that, that a day constitutes, is constituted by an evening and a morning. And in order for, for Christ to be crucified and fulfill three days and three nights in, in the heart of the earth, well, he would have been crucified on Wednesday, according to the Word of God. And, and that's a great study. We don't have time for that this morning, but I do want you to know that the Word of God teaches that very, very clearly. So if you got Friday off, it's cool. If you have Good Friday off, it's cool. Take it. Take any day that you can get off. But Christ wasn't crucified on a Friday. We know from the Word of God that by the time these women arrive at the tomb 
on the first day of the week, we know that Christ is already risen. Because when they show up, the Bible says that they showed up very early in the morning. And by the time they got to the sepulcher, the stone was rolled away and his body was not there. And so he's already resurrected. And so, and so this morning, we, we, we come to this portion of Scripture kind of understanding that a lot has happened leading up to this point. And as I was praying and studying, Lord, what would you have me share on, on Easter Sunday, which, by the way, for me is a very difficult thing because, because we're called to celebrate the resurrection. If you're a believer, you celebrate that every day. And as a church, we celebrate it on the first day of the week. Uh, historically, we see that in the book of Acts, that they gathered together on the first day of the week. And so every Sunday really is a, is a proclamation of the resurrected Christ. It's a, it's a proclamation. And so what we find... What we find as we look at Luke 24, and even in, back into Luke 23, that tomb got quite a bit of traffic after Christ's death and burial. I want you to understand that there were a lot of people that showed up at the tomb after his death and his burial. And it, and it, and it is a very interesting study. As a matter of fact, we would do, do well to study who was there and why they were there, because God has some things for us this morning. And so uh, here's the first point, and you got some notes in your, in your seat if you want to follow along this morning. But I want to tell you this morning, number one, listen, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, number one, it reveals humanity's reasoning. In other words, the tomb and the empty tomb and the resurrected Christ is able to reveal our motive, our heart, our reasoning of why we are really there. And again, that tomb got a lot of traffic uh, over the course of, of, of some days. As a matter of fact, if you were to go back to Matthew chapter 27, you're going to find that there were some soldiers that were sent to seal that tomb and to set a watch. And they did that because, well, there were some people that were really worried that his body would be taken from the tomb. Do you guys remember the story? Uh, and, and so what's interesting is as we, we get into this first point this morning, there were some soldiers there. Why were they there? Well, they were interested in self-preservation. They were interested in self-preservation because they wanted to make sure Christ never came out of that tomb. And I want you to look with me at Matthew 27. It's on the screen. Look at Matthew 27, verses 62 to 66. Now the Bible says, now the next day that followed the day of the preparation the chief priest and the Pharisees came together unto Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember, and pay attention to that, those two words right there, we remember that that deceiver said while he was yet alive, after three days I will rise again. Command, therefore, that the sepulcher be made sure unto the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say to the people... He's risen from the dead, so that the last error should be worse than the first. And so you see that these, chiefs, these chief Pharisees, these chief rulers of the Jewish religion, they're really concerned. Uh, we need to go make sure that the tomb is sealed, because you remember what he said? Do you remember? What, we remember what he said. The third day he's coming out. That's what he said. Verse 60, 65, so Pilate said unto them, ye have a watch, go your way, Make it as sure as ye can. And so they went and they made the sepulcher sure, sealing the stone and setting a watch. And so what you have in Matthew 27 is like 
you know, the first government lockdown uh, for Easter. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, I mean, listen, this was a, a politically enforced, religiously motivated lockdown of the tomb, right? These religious leaders happily enforced what was distributed or, or commanded by government leaders in order to keep Christ's body in the, in the tomb so that his body doesn't get out. That's very interesting. And if you think that has a, a present-day application, you would probably be right. You don't have to read into that too much. We know that that tomb was closed by the owner of the tomb. As a matter of fact, in Matthew 27, we know that it's Joseph of Arimathea's tomb. The Bible says in Matthew 27 that he took that body, he wrapped it in a clean cloth, he laid it in his own new tomb. And so Joseph put him in the tomb, and the Bible says he rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulcher and departed. And so the tomb was closed by the owner And that's a great picture for us of how Christ substituted his death for us. Joseph had a tomb prepared for his death, and yet the person being laid in his tomb wasn't Joseph. It was Christ. Christ died and took his place in his own tomb so that he could walk away and live. What a great picture, even in that passage of salvation. But listen, after Joseph closed the tomb, these, these government leaders and these soldiers showed up, and the Bible says that they made sure the tomb. In other words, they sealed that tomb. And listen, I don't know how they sealed it. Maybe they got the concrete mixer out and, and started going to work, and they plastered it, and they cemented it, and they, whatever they did, they wanted to make sure that there's no way that that body comes out, and they want to make sure there's no way that anybody ever gets in. You see, you see, their motive for being at the tomb was to keep Christ in it. And, and, and then we know that those religious leaders ultimately were on board because those religious leaders went and made the sepulcher sure. They sealed the stone and they set the watch. In other words, this political religious system was working to keep Christ in the tomb. By the way, a political and religious system has been working for 2,000 years to keep Christ in the tomb by any means necessary. Listen, you, you talk to any worldly uh, person, the governments of this world, the religious systems of this world, well, they're really interested in keeping Christ crucified and buried in a tomb. But I'm going to tell you, friends, it didn't work. Amen? It didn't work. But listen, but listen, the resurrection reveals our motivation, and for these people, they were really interested In self-preservation, because this guy claimed to be God, he had a coming kingdom, he had disciples, and we don't want anything to do with that. So let's keep him in the tomb so we can squash, so so that this error is not worse than the first error of crucifying him. Secondly, we have some women that show up at the tomb, and we, we, we read that story in Luke 24, verses 1 to 8 this morning. But, but listen, I want you to understand that as we look at, at these women, when they came to the tomb, they had different motives. Their motives weren't necessarily to keep Christ's body in the tomb, but they, they weren't looking for a risen Savior. And so as we study these women this morning, can I just tell you that there are some people that, that come to Christ's tomb, but they come with unrealistic expectations. They come to Christ and to his tomb with unrealistic expectations. Because the Bible says that when they came to the sepulcher, they brought the spices 
which they had prepared and certain others with them. And and if you were to just go back to Luke chapter 23, God tells you who these women are. It says in Luke 23 and verses 55 and 56 that the women also which came with him from Galilee followed after and beheld the sepulcher and how his body was laid. And they returned, listen, and prepared spices and ointments and rested on the Sabbath day according to the commandment. And so you know the story. Christ had to be in the tomb before the Sabbath. And so these women, after Christ's crucifixion, he was buried. They went back and began to prepare spices and ointments so that after the Sabbath, they could come back to the tomb and anoint a dead body. You see, that's why they came to the tomb. They came to the tomb with expectation that we're going to anoint his body for burial. And listen, I'm sure that they worked as hard. Listen, they had just been through the most difficult experience of their life. Do you understand? Listen, Jesus Christ, the person that had walked with them, talked with them, that had healed some of them, that had ministered to them, they had heard his word, the man that professed to be God in the flesh. Listen, he died on a cross and was buried. And I get it, man. These guys were trying to unravel and piece together what really has been happening in their, in their life. And listen, I'm sure it was traumatic in their life. And so they're coming to the tomb, and they prepared as best they can. And, and, and listen, it was unlawful to work on the Sabbath, so they had to prepare even beforehand even more. And Christ was laid in the tomb, and these ladies went to work. But can I just tell you, when they came to the tomb, all of that work, all of that preparation, all of that labor, it was unprofitable. Be- because their expectation wasn't met. Now, now, that's really interesting because, because we know that when they came to the tomb, they weren't looking for the risen Savior because you don't anoint for burial someone who's alive. We know based on what they prepared that they were looking for a dead body. They weren't, they weren't looking for the living Christ. We, we know that they prepared spices and ointments we also know that they weren't looking for the risen Christ because where did they go? They went to a tomb. Well, that's where dead people belong. Well, he's not dead. He's risen. As a matter of fact, those two men, the angels, they profess to them, hey, listen, why seek ye the living among the dead? And I think that's a good question for us. You know, God, how many of you have kids in the room? Okay, listen, when your kids do something kind of, jacked up. I know your kids are perfect, but you know, in the pastor's house, we, we have, we're, we're all jacked up. So when your kid does something crazy, man, you know, the question is, why'd you do that? Why did you do that? And then it's like, I don't know. I don't know. I asked my, I asked my five-year-old yesterday, she did something and I was like, tell me why you did that. I don't know. This was a five-minute conversation. No, tell me why you did that. I don't know. Tell me why you did that. Well, you had to have a reason. Why did you do that? Uh, I don't know. And then it finally came out why she did it. You know, God's really interested in our motives. God's really interested in our reason. The angel said, why? Why seek you the living among the dead? And, and so we know that they weren't looking for a resurrected Christ. And listen, even when, they, when we see their response, we know that they weren't looking for a resurrected Christ. They were looking for a dead body. The Bible says they entered in in verse 3, and they found not the body of the Lord Jesus. And it came to pass as they were much perplexed thereabout. 
Can I just tell you that it is possible to come to Christ and it is possible to come to his tomb for the wrong reasons. And, and the result will be unmet expectations. I don't know why people come to Christ. I hope they come to Christ because they realize that they're a sinner. They realize Christ died for their sin and is willing through his shed blood to forgive them of their sin and put his righteousness onto their life and into their life. That's, that's why I hope people come. But listen, I don't know why people come to Christ. I don't know why people come to church. I'm glad you're here. I know it's Easter Sunday. We had kids' videos. Maybe that's why you're here. I don't know why you're here. I know from these women, God gets down to the heart of the motivation and says, you know what? You, you may not have came for self-preservation, but you may came with unrealistic expectation. So, so here's the key that we need to get, because these women, just like us, us many times, we can labor at the wrong time, and we can labor toward the wrong things, and both will leave us feeling like our expectations weren't met. In other words, these ladies had labored so much. They had, they had prepared. They were distraught. They showed up early. Listen, that was a lot of good effort and time and money. But can I tell you, it was all for waste. And the reason it was all for waste is because they didn't remember the words that Christ taught them. It's almost embarrassing, really. I know we don't read the Easter story like that, but it, but it kind of is, right? You show up with a with a with a you know wheelbarrow full of ointment and spices to anoint a dead body, and you you show up with all this stuff that you've labored for and you've done and you've done all these different things, and it's kind of like, um, hey, bro, he ain't here. Uh, what what were you expecting? What were you expecting? And Christianity is full of that, man. People come to Christ for different reasons. But listen, the right reason is to come to Christ because you need a Savior from your sin. But people come to Christ with, with expectations in their mind of how it's supposed to play out. And many times Christ does a really good job of not meeting those expectations. Because we don't come to Christ based on the authority of his word. We come based on what we think should happen in our own lives, right? We're going to come to Christ because we can get a better marriage. We're going to come to Christ because we can raise our kids better so that we can be financially blessed, so that I can be a part of a church. Listen, all those things are fine things. There's nothing wrong with those things. But when you come and the expectation is not met, is it because Christ let you down or is it because your, un your expectation is not biblical? Because, because there's, a, there's a biblical doctrine that Christ said, I'm only going to be in there three days and three nights, and I'm coming out. And nobody was there waiting for him to roll back that stone. I mentioned that these ladies, man, they were, they were good intentions. They were trying to anoint his body. When you study the Bible, you'll find that there were actually only two people in all of the Bible that had the privilege of anointing Jesus' body for the burial. And it wasn't anybody that was listed in Luke chapter 24. And I'll give you the first one. The first one is Mary. And we find her in Matthew chapter 26, verses 6 to 13. And, and very quickly, I'll just read the story. The Bible tells us that when Jesus was in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, there came unto him a woman having an alabaster box of very precious ointment and poured it out on his head as he sat at meat. But when his disciples saw it, they had indignation saying, to what purpose is this waste? Because, you know, because, you know, they didn't agree with what was happening. 
with this woman and her worship. And they say in verse 9, for this ointment might have been sold for much and given to the poor. And when Jesus understood it, he said to them, why trouble ye the woman? For she hath wrought a good work upon me, for ye have the poor always with you, but me have ye not always. For in that she hath poured this ointment on my body, listen, she did it for my what? For my burial. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, there shall also this, that this woman hath done, and be told for a memorial of her. You see, there was a woman that understood what Christ said. He's going to die. And so what she did is she labored and she prepared and she took what was most precious to her and she brought it to Christ in the right timing. Does that make sense? Because listen, after he's resurrected, you can't anoint his body for burial anymore. You can't, you can't anoint it anymore. And, and the second person is a man named Nicodemus. And, and many of us remember the story of Nicodemus in John chapter 3, where he comes to Christ by night. And, and that famous discourse that, that Jesus tells Nicodemus, hey, you must be born again. But many of us forget that Nicodemus shows up at the very end of the gospels in John chapter 19. It says, and after this, Joseph of Arimathea, being a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, besought Pilate, that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him leave. And he came, therefore, and took the body of Jesus. And there came also Nicodemus, which at the first came to Jesus by night and brought a mixture, listen, of myrrh and aloes, about a hundred pound weight. Then they took the body of Jesus and wound it in linen clothes with the spices, as the manner of the Jews is, to bury you see, you see, there were some people that understood what God's Word said. And because they understood what God's Word said, they didn't miss their opportunity to worship Christ. They didn't miss the opportunity to anoint His body for burial. They didn't miss the opportunity to give sacrificially and to express His worth to them. Because there comes a time where it's just too late. There comes a time where, where, where it's just too late. And, and listen, we as Christians, we need to understand that there are some of us that are laboring toward the wrong things and we're laboring in the wrong time, not with a biblical authority. And because of that, we have unmet expectations in our relationship with Christ. You know why that happens? Because when we don't have a biblical authority, we don't really know what to do. We'll, we'll be busy doing things, it just may not be the right things, and it may not be at the right time. Does that, does that make sense? You guys okay this morning? And so listen, man, if you've ever come to Christ with expectations that weren't met, ask yourself the question, man, is this expectation based on what God's Word says? Or is this expectation based on what I think and what I feel and how I feel about this situation? We have to have a biblical authority in our relationship with Christ. And so what's interesting is they go into the tomb and they don't find the body of Jesus Christ. There's a missing body. And I'm going to make a few comments right here and you'll just have to give me grace. But for the last 12 months, can I tell you that there have been Christians trying to find the body of Christ? You know, ever since COVID hit, ever since COVID hit, and we've kind of, we've kind of as Christians, felt just a, a, a sliver of opposition and persecution in our life 
and we got uncomfortable because, hey, we can't do things like we've always done it. Can I just tell you that there's many of us that have been looking for the body of Christ and we've looked for it in places like YouTube and Facebook and online Bible studies and all these different things. But listen, what we're looking for is not in any of those places. The body of Christ assembles. The body of Christ assembles. You may not like that. That's okay. It doesn't matter. The Bible tells us very clearly that in Acts chapter 1, the disciples assembled themselves with the women. Acts chapter 4 and verse 31 tells us that they were assembled together and the place that they were assembled was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Ghost and they spake the word of God with boldness. In Acts chapter 11 and verse 26, when they were called Christians first, it was in Antioch and it's right on the hills of them assembling. Acts 15 and verse 25, Paul writes and he says, or, or, or Luke writes, but, but it's Paul's words, and it seemeth good unto us being assembled with you. See, see, are you guys still with me? You see, leave it, leave it to a bunch of Laodicean Christians to tell Christ himself that his word doesn't really mean what it says. Well, I know the Bible says we should assemble, but, you know, I mean, you know, you know what's going on. Yeah, I, I do know what's going on. And we've got a bunch of Christians looking for the body of Christ and laboring really hard, and they can't find it, but it's where it's always been, in the assembly of the believers. That's where it is. That's where the body of Christ is. A body is not a body unless it assembles. And we've had a year. We've had a year. I'm talking about all churches. To realize we need to have a biblical authority for our life. Wonder why our expectations aren't being met as it relates to COVID and Christianity? Because we moved away from the Bible. That's why our expectations aren't being met, because we've moved away from the Bible. And so listen, I want you to understand that whatever the motive that you come to the tomb today, no matter what the motive is, Christ's resurrection has a way of discerning our motives. Number one, listen, the chief priests ultimately were defeated because the tomb is empty. The women were disappointed because the tomb was empty. You know, there was a third guy, and we don't have a lot of time, but if you skip on down to the passage in verses 9 to 12, there was another guy that showed up at the tomb. His name was Peter. You remember him? You guys remember Peter? You know, open mouth, insert foot, right? Speak first, think second. Anybody in the room like that? Okay, you're all liars. Okay, anyways, listen, man, we can relate a lot to Peter. And listen, Peter just experienced the most difficult thing in his life. Man, he had denied the Lord three times. And then Christ is dead. Can you imagine what he's going through? <laughs> and the Bible tells us in verses 9 to 12 that those women came back and they told Peter and the apostles that the tomb is empty. And the Bible says in verse 11 that their words seemed to them as idle tales. And they believed them not. Then arose Peter and ran unto the sepulcher. And stooping down, he looked and beheld the linen cloth laid by themselves. And he departed, wondering in himself, at that which was come to pass. You know, I think Peter showed up at that. This is what I think. It's not doctrine, so I'm telling you, this is what I think. I think he showed up out of guilt and regret. And here's why, here's why, here's why I say that. Because a dead man doesn't tell any secrets. Do you understand? Peter just denied Christ three times. 
And Christ knew it. Christ looked at him, you remember? And Peter left in shame and regret and defeat. And listen, probably out of regret and guilt, he shows up looking in that tomb because dead men don't tell lies. Dead men don't tell tales. And listen, your secret is safe with a dead man. But all of a sudden, there's a resurrected Christ. And he knows what you did. And if he's alive, that means you have to come face to face with him. You have to come face to face with him. So listen, Peter was full of regret, but can I tell you, I think the resurrection was greater. The resurrection was greater. And so, and so here, let's go quickly to the second point is this. The resurrection of Jesus Christ for us is a validated reality. So no matter what our motivation is, this morning, God wants to cement in our hearts and minds that the resurrection is a reality. Look at verse 5, same, same passage. It says that they were afraid, they bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, why seek ye the living among the dead? He's not here, but is risen. Man, the greatest words, man. So in your notes, look, the greatest news to ever come came from a garden, because that tomb was in a garden. And the greatest news to ever come was the fact that Jesus Christ was not there, but that he's risen. And do you remember all the way back in the beginning of your Bible, there was a garden? And do you remember all the way back at the beginning of your Bible, the worst news of all humanity came from that garden. In Adam, all die because of our sin. Romans chapter 5. Do you realize that that garden back in the book of Genesis, from that garden came the worst news humanity had ever received from the Garden of Eden 6,000 years ago? Adam's sin in that garden passed to all of humanity. But listen, the greatest news to ever come came from a garden. And the greatest news is the fact that, listen, the Son of God that died for your sin, that took your place, He's not here, He's risen. In other words, there's a resurrection. In other words, there's victory over death, hell, and the grave. And I want you to just think for a second. Listen, this is so significant. I think we understand that as a church, man. We understand the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But listen, I want you to understand how significant this is. Think about the greatest men who have ever lived on this planet. So I did some Google research, because that's where you do your research, right? Oh, Google. And in 1978, there was a man named Michael Hart that wrote a book called The 100, a ranking of the most influential persons in history. It was written in 1978. It was revised in 1992. And let me just read you some of the names. By the way, I don't believe Michael Hart had any clue on how to write a book, uh, because if I would have wrote the book, I would have called it The One a ranking of the most influential person in all of history, and it's a short list. It's Jesus Christ, the risen Savior. But, but let me just give you some of the names that he put on his list. Number one on his list was Muhammad, founder and the central human figure of Islam, regarded by Muslims as a prophet of God and the last messenger. And that's fantastic. He made number one on, on Mr. Hart's list, but can I tell you about Muhammad today? He's dead. Isaac Newton, English physicist, mathematician, astronomer, natural philosopher, theologian. You know, he, he gave us the laws of universal gravitation, three laws of motion, laid the groundwork for classical mechanics. Can I tell you about Isaac Newton today? He's dead. 
Buddha, spiritual leader, teacher, philosopher from ancient India, founder of Buddhism, dead. Confucius, Chinese thinker, philosopher, founder of Confucianism. Okay, that's a joke, but it is Confucianism. (laughs) Whose teaching and philosophy have deeply influenced Chinese, Korean, Japanese, Vietnamese, and Indonesian thought and life. Confucius, dead. Christopher Columbus, Italian navigator, colonizer, explorer, dead. Albert Einstein, German-born theorist, physicist, best known for his theory of relativity, dead. Louis Pasteur, French biologist, developed a cure for rabies and other infectious diseases, dead. Aristotle, dead. Charles Darwin, dead. Augustus Caesar, dead. Constantine the Great, dead. Listen, there is only one person that defeated death hell, and the grave. Listen, the greatest humanity has to offer. The greatest minds, the greatest scientific discoveries, the greatest philosophers, the greatest military minds and strategists, musicians, composers, and religious leaders, dead, and nothing but dust and dirt in a box. But I'm telling you what, Jesus Christ, my Lord, My Savior, my God, the rock upon which Christianity itself rests. Friends, he got up out of the grave. He got up out of the grave. And you need to get this down in your notes. Look, Christianity is the only, and I don't even like the term, but it is a biblical term. It's the only religion whose founder isn't dead. Because the resurrection is a reality. It's a reality. Paul understood it was a reality He said in Acts 17, verses 2 to 3, Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days he reasoned with them out of the Scriptures, opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus, whom I preach unto you, is Christ. 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that Christ is risen, man. Listen, if he's not risen, we're wasting our time. With no resurrected Savior, Christianity has nothing to stand on. As a matter of fact, in verse 17, he says, If Christ be not raised, your faith is in vain, and you're yet in your sins. But I'm telling you, he is risen. It's a proven fact. We reason from the Scriptures. Christ is the risen Savior. So let's get to the third point so you can get lunch. Here's the point. It doesn't matter why we come to the tomb. God's able to discern the motive. We need to realize that the resurrection is real because God said so. Because there's witnesses. Listen, there's 500 plus witnesses. History proves it. It is real. But here's the point, and I think this is where we need to land this morning, verse 8, verses 6 to 8. So these two angels, right, they speak to these women. He says, remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. Verse 8. And they remembered his words. So here's the point in your notes. Look, the resurrection should provoke us to remember Christ's words. The point of the resurrection is the fact that Christ has victory over death, hell, and the grave. We can be forgiven of our sin. And listen, that is all true. But the point of those women being at the tomb was to be reminded 
what God said is true. It brought them back to a biblical authority. It brought them back to the authority of Christ's word in their life. And listen, whatever your motivation is for being here today or for, for showing up at church on Sunday, any given Sunday, listen, I'm all, you're always welcome here. We always want you to be here. But God, God knows our motivation. And can I just tell you, whatever your reason is, it really doesn't matter. Because what God wants you to do today for being here, God, God's purpose for you being here today is so that you remember Christ's words. You remember Christ's words. Verse, here's, here's the key in your notes. The resurrection of Jesus Christ validates that God's word is true. The resurrection of Jesus Christ validates that God's word is true. And, and listen, it had to be awkward, man, for those women because they show up into the tomb and these two angels are sitting there. You know, again, you got all this, you got these precious ointments and, and all this stuff to anoint a body. And it's like, yeah, you're not going to need that. Oh, shoot. And, and then, you know, you get questioned, like, why are you even here? Well, that's embarrassing. I mean, do you read the Bible like that? And, and you should. And then the angels are like, hey, uh, don't you remember when you were in Galilee with him? Here's exactly what he said. Uh, how would you like your pastor to pull that one on you, by the way? You know, you're kind of acting like a little faithless, like, I don't know what I'm doing here. Don't you remember we taught that three weeks ago in, uh, on Sunday morning? Well, that's exactly what happened. What, what exactly happened is those angels called to remembrance, listen, the exact place and the exact time that Jesus had taught them. Ugh. Let me get those notes. For you. <laughs> what was that first blank again? <laughs> right. I mean, how would you like your, your pastor to pull that, man? Seriously, that'd be, that'd be awkward, right? Man, I can't even remember. People come up to me and I'm like, hey, man, that sermon you did like a month ago or two months ago, man, that point you made, and I'm like, what are you even talking about? <laughs> I have like no clue. I, have, I, I would fail the test too is my point. I want you to understand that, listen, Christ told them over and over and over again that this is what was going to happen. And, and the point of the empty tomb, for sure, man, is to show that Christ has victory over death, hell, and the grave and that he's resurrected absolutely, but even more so, it validates that his word is true. Matthew 12, verse 40, As Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Matthew 16, 21, From that time Jesus began to show forth unto his disciples how that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Matthew 17, verse 22, While they abode in Galilee, there it is, Jesus said to them, the Son of Man must be betrayed in the hands of men. They shall kill him, and the third day he shall be raised again. It's clear. And they were exceedingly sorry. Matthew 20, verse 17. Jesus went up to Jerusalem and took the twelve disciples apart in the way, and he said to them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man should be betrayed unto the chief priests and the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, and they shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify him. And the third day he shall rise again. You see, listen. When we experience tribulation and difficulty and opposition, we separate ourselves from the authority of God's word. 
You know why nobody was at that tomb looking for a resurrected Christ? Because difficulty, tribulation, uh, oppression, uh, sorrow, depression, whatever you want to call it, had overtaken their life, just like it overtakes our life. And they moved away from the Scriptures. So God wants us to remember this morning that His Word is true. And God wants, to remember that his, he wants us to remember that His Word is true no matter what. His Word is true in the midst of COVID, no matter what. His, his Word is true when you get that bad doctor's diagnosis. That ain't COVID. His, his Word's still true. The economy fails. His Word is still true. Your president get, didn't get elected. His Word is still true. All your stuff got stolen last week. His word is still true. We, we have to come to the place that we trust the words of God. So here's the last point. Listen, the gospel, the gospel is the gospel according to the scriptures. The gospel is the gospel according to the scriptures. And, and I want to just close here at 1 Corinthians 15 and remind you and remind me that without the scriptures, we have no gospel. <laughs> Without the scriptures, we don't have the gospel. But because God cannot lie and God's given us his word, we can walk in faith without fear. We can walk in faith without fear. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 4. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preach to you, this Paul writing, which also ye have received and wherein ye stand, by the which ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preach to you, unless ye believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received. Here it is. How that Christ died for our sins, and this next part is really important, according to the what? Scriptures. And that he was buried, and he rose again the third day according to the, according to the Scriptures. And if you keep reading, the Bible says that he was seen of 500, and he was seen of Peter and James, and he was seen of the apostles, and he was seen of Paul. The point is, and listen, the gospel is the gospel according to the Scriptures. We can trust God's Word. We can trust, trust God's word. And so listen, if you're here this morning, and, and maybe you find yourself like that first group of people, man, we, maybe you come to Christ or, or come to the tomb hoping to keep Christ in it. Can I just tell you, that's not a good strategy. That's not really a good plan uh, because he's out of that tomb. He's out of that tomb. And, and self-preservation doesn't work. It, it, it's realizing that you're a sinner separated from God and that only Christ shed blood is able to make you clean in God's eyes. You know, this morning I was, I was going through Dunkin' Donuts, uh, getting my normal Sunday morning coffee because, um, yeah, uh, if I don't have coffee like first thing in the morning, some of you in this room know, man, it's, Jay's not a, he's hard to be around anyways, but if he doesn't have coffee, it's really bad. So I'm in the drive-thru, and, you know, I gave him my order, and I pull up to the window, and the lady said, uh, I just want you to know, sir, that the man in front of you paid your bill. He, he paid your bill. Of course, at that point, I wish I'd have ordered like four dozen donuts. You know what I'm saying? But I didn't. I just ordered an extra large coffee. But even this morning, man, and I've had a, a little bit of a rough week, and some of us in this room have had a little bit of a rough week, man, feeling defeated and discouraged. And, man, God just reminded me in the drive-thru at Duncan, hey, man, you owed a debt, and I paid your debt. I paid your debt, and you can rejoice. And man, the first words when she told me that, when she told me that dude had paid for my, my coffee, I was like, praise the Lord. And I don't even think she knew what I, why, why would you say that? Why would you say praise the Lord? It's free coffee. Are you kidding me? 
But in my mind, man, I knew God just gave me a little snapshot of what salvation is. Listen, if you don't know Christ today, you owe a sin debt that you can't pay. You don't want to pay. But he paid it for you. And if you're willing to receive his free gift of salvation, listen, he'll save you from your sin. He'll pay the price that you don't want to pay for yourself, that you can't pay for yourself outside of an eternity in a place called hell. But listen, for those of us that are saved this morning, I think God wants to remind us this resurrection story should bring us to remembrance. It ought to bring us to remember that, listen, what God said about his own resurrection is true. And what that means is that every other word that God has revealed to us in his scripture is true. And we can live a life by faith, not based on our expectation or motivation. We can live a life by faith based on the final authority of his word. Why don't you come to the tomb? It really doesn't matter. God wants you to remember that his words are true. Amen. Thank you for being here.